Welcome to the Gentle Counselor Podcast, episode number 20. My name is Crystal and I'm the creator of The Gentle Counselor, where I provide online resources to support the mental health and well-being of parents and children. Today on the podcast, we have a special guest, Julie Johnson from Heart and Solutions and Stories from the Heart. And she's going to be talking to us about anxiety and depression in children. And she's also going to share with us some information from one of the books that she has written. Julie is a licensed mental health counsellor and the founder of Heart and Solutions, which is a counselling agency with seven locations and over 50 team members. She has written and self-published a children's book of breathing techniques called Julie Johnson's Stories from the Heart. She's a doctoral candidate pursuing her psychology degree in behavioural health leadership. And she's a mother of a three-year-old where she has cesarean birth, gestational diabetes and postpartum anxiety. She's also a minimalist and teaches decluttering workshops and her daughter and Julie run a nonprofit to help pets that are displaced by domestic violence called DV Pet Solutions. She's got so many things under her belt going on at the moment and I'm so excited. Welcome to the Gentle Counselor podcast, Julie. Hi, Crystal. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to learn more about your book and everything that you do. And I love that you have such a different array of passions and things that you're doing at the moment. Thank you. Yeah, I like to keep busy. Uh, I have a lot of interests. And so um, I just love to pursue as many of them as I possibly can. So let's start off by talking about what does mental health and well-being mean to you? Yeah, so mental health is so essential to our our day-to-day lives. I think that um, it's just as important to our well-being and to our achievement of the life that we want to live as physical health is. So our physical health can really slow us down, but in some ways, our mental health can even slow us down even more than our physical health can. So uh, I, I recently or I previously had uh, sleep apnea that I was treating and I previously had fatty liver disease that I was treating and my triglycerides were like three times what they are now and I had to, that was starting to slow me down uh, physically, right? But that stuff took a long time to start to slow me down. Um, and I've recently reversed all of those things, but it, my mental health, it sneaks up on us a lot faster than our physical health does. Um, our physical health, all of those things took a long time to kind of accumulate and build up. But with mental health, if we're not clearing out those blockages, if we're not clearing out those uh, thoughts and those emotions that are not serving us well um, or that we are not taking the time to process, those are going to slow us down even faster than our physical health. Um, So I see mental health as kind of like training the way that uh, I run half marathons and I'm going to be doing the rock and roll marathon in Vegas. And so I kind of see my mental health as 
the same kind of daily training. It takes daily training to reach those milestones. And I think with our mental health, it's really easy to put that off and not focus on that every single day. Um, but it is just so important because every day, every minute and every hour, there are new inputs coming into our brains and our, our lives and our processing systems. And if we don't actively work through them and learn from them, then they're just going to pile up and continue to log us down. You're so right. And I really like the approach that you're taking and what you're talking about is so correct that we need to start treating our mental health as just being important as our physical health. And it is something that we need to be conscious of and be aware of daily and put in some healthy practices that are going to really pay off in the long run, long run, just like you would with your men, your physical health. So I really like that you're making sure to talk about that as well. Is there a current mental health concern that you have? Yeah, uh, so I have two main focuses of, of perspective on mental health. Um, so the first is the first kind of concern that I am trying to address with, with my mental health practice and then also with my children's book is that children do not always have access to mental health care. Um, so I think that there are a lot of barriers that parents have to bringing their children to see a counselor. Uh, and some of them are physical barriers like transportation or income, um, but then other and time, time is a big one. But then there are other barriers that are not tangible barriers, and those are um, stigma of mental health. Those are negative thoughts about mental health counseling or what it means to be in mental health counseling. And so uh, a lot of children grow up not learning how to process these intense feelings or these uh, intense thoughts that they start to have as they get older and they they don't have the opportunity to practice what do I do with these feelings or these thoughts that brings me closer to the things that I want in my life or brings me closer to the life that I want to live as opposed to all of these things just kind of coming in and flooding our systems and then we do the easy thing we do the things that are get that get us farther away from our goals right so we you know eat the unhealthy food and we uh you know spend time on technology video games social media um you know things that feel good in the moment because we don't have a system for processing those feelings and emotions and thoughts and so we just kind of we ignore them right and they just continue to pile up so i think that one major concern that i have that i'm taking action towards is trying to make mental health care more accessible for children uh, they don't have the understanding of the importance of it, so they can't necessarily seek it out for themselves. Um, so we try to remove as many barriers for parents as we possibly can. So a couple ways that we do that is just educating people that uh, mental health care for children is really like 
training. It's like how you would train a child to learn how to run cross country or figure skate. Um, it's teaching a child how to process the feelings and the emotions that they have so that the outcome of that processing is close to what they want or brings them closer to what they want uh, instead of the opposite. So uh, the other things that we do are just letting people know about their insurance coverage. So in our state, we in Iowa, um, Iowa Medicaid covers a lot of children. And if your child is covered by Iowa Medicaid, then mental health counseling and behavioral health counseling are both completely free uh, in our state. And there's no copay, there's no deductible, there's no out-of-pocket cost at all. And a lot of people don't know that. And so they think, oh, I can't afford a counselor for my child, not knowing that it is a completely free service with that uh, insurance type. Uh, telehealth is also available right now. So we are seeing children over the computer. We're using Google Draw. Um, we're using different uh, apps to be able to interact in the session uh, over the computer or over the phone. And so what that does is eliminates the barrier of uh, the physical driving to the office and waiting in the waiting room and then driving home and the other kids have to come and then they all want dinner and um, it, it kind of eliminates some of that for people right now. Also, if you've got private insurance, it is likely free to you to do telehealth counseling right now. So uh, a lot of people don't know, but Blue Cross, United, Health Partners, Optum, um, they have removed the patient responsibility, the copay um, for their members so that typically I, I see a counselor every week and typically my copay is $40 a week. Uh, but right now, since COVID, it has been completely free when I get my EOBs, my patient responsibility part is zero. Um, so I'm actually seeing my therapist twice a week right now over the phone. And that's been really, really great because I can uh, walk on the treadmill at the same time and I have my headset on and I get to process things through twice a week with her. Um, but one of another way that we try to eliminate a barrier for parents so that children can be seen is that we do a lot of work in the schools. And so in here in Iowa, we are in a lot of the schools being able to offer mental health therapy and behavioral health therapy in school for the child. So the parents don't need to take them out of school. They don't need to make an appointment and they don't need to drive the child or take off of work to do that. Uh, my book is Breathing Through the Year, <clears throat> A Child's Guide to Holiday-Themed Breathing Techniques. And this is a book designed for preschoolers. Um, so ages two, my daughter has been doing these techniques since she was about 18 months old. Um, so I would say about two is a good age to about six years old. And these are fun breathing techniques that are based on holidays and kids love holidays. My daughter is four now. Um, she loves holidays, all of them. And so she gets so excited when it's like Mother's Day or Father's Day or Easter uh, or Fourth of July. She was so excited. And so the, the premise of the book is to try to 
capitalize on that excitement for the benefit of that child. So not only are we getting the excitement of the holiday, but we're also getting some really great breathing techniques that are gonna be memorable and enjoyable for the child. So uh, one of those techniques, for example, my, my daughter's favorite technique is uh, the summer vacation themed technique. Um, and that is, she calls it the roller coaster one. And you hold up your hand and you trace. So you hold up your hand in front of you, spread your fingers out like you're doing the number five in front of you. And then you take your other pointer finger you just trace along the outer edge of your thumb, up your thumb, and then down your thumb, and then up the next finger, and then down. You want to imagine that your hand, that the top outline of your hand is the track of a roller coaster, and that the your finger that you're using to trace your hand is the roller coaster car. And so roller coasters go, they go up, 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 and it builds that momentum, and then they go down really, really fast. And so you would trace your finger up, and as your as the roller coaster is going up the track, you can, you breathe in. And then as it goes down the track, you breathe out and you say, Wee! you went on a roller coaster. So breathing in as you go up the next finger and And my daughter just really loves these techniques and she actually reminds me of them <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, and sometimes we will, something will happen or we'll have a disagreement about what should happen. And she'll say, let's just breathe, mommy. We just need to breathe. Let's do the roller coaster or let's do the, let's do the gobble, gobble, gobble for Thanksgiving one. Um, and so my, my mission for that book is just to make that accessible for kids. Um, my daughter and I are doing a YouTube channel. So all of the breathing techniques that we've recorded are on that channel. Uh, and so we're able to see those breathing techniques in real time. So even uh, kiddos who don't have the book can follow along with my daughter and I uh, as she demonstrates the techniques for kids. Um, so the second thing that, or the second concern that I have about mental health that my agency is really trying to, um, to combat and to try to kind of push back against um, is the stigma of mental health. And the, you know, mental health work is so important and people work so hard to improve their mental health, to maintain their mental health, but it's not something that when we have all of these victories in counseling, it's not like when we graduate from you know, high school or we uh, get a new job or we get a promotion, right? We share those victories with other people. We, we post about it on social media and we call our mom and we just, we share all of those things. Um, but mental health counseling, for, for some reason is so, um, it's so difficult for a lot of people to talk about and it's not mainstream to share those successes that happen in counseling. And as a counselor, um, and, and Crystal, I'm sure you have this experience, we see those victories all the time and it's amazing um, for us to get to share in, but a lot of our clients are not able, they don't feel comfortable sharing those victories with 
others and their support. So there's kind of like this feeling of if I'm in counseling, I should keep that a secret. And I remember that I saw my first counselor when I was 13. And I remember not wanting anybody to know that I was seeing this counselor. And, uh, and I kept thinking, you know, all of these things that they were going to think about me. So our mission at Heart and Solutions is to, we want to make mental health counseling just as commonplace as going to the dentist or going to the chiropractor. So I would never be embarrassed to uh, say to somebody if they wanted to meet up for lunch, for example, you know, and they said, um, oh, can you meet up for lunch at 12? And I said, oh, no, I can't. I'm going to the dentist, right? No, people wouldn't feel embarrassed about that. They wouldn't feel like they had to hide that. They wouldn't say like, oh, I have something else going on. Um, they would say, I'm going to the dentist, right? And nobody is going to say, why are you taking care of your teeth? What's wrong with you? Um, but with counseling, it's a different feeling for a lot of people. They might not want to say, I am going to counseling, right, instead. So we're trying to make counseling just as commonplace as going to the dentist or the pharmacy. And so what we've done in our Grundy Center, Iowa location, which is where I where I live, is we've purchased a building on the main street. So we are right next to a hair salon and a boutique. We are across from the gym. We're across from uh, the Hallmark store. We're across from the pharmacy. So we are right on the main street of the town. And that's really important to us that we have that visibility that when people drive through our town, they see that this is a town that supports mental health counseling. This is a town that's not ashamed of it. We don't have to hide the services that we do. We're proud of those services. They're really good services and they really help a lot of people. And so we don't wanna be hiding off on a side street uh, the way that we have been in the past. In the past, when we've looked at new office locations, I've said to the realtor, I've done this myself and I caught myself in it and I said, why am I doing this? Um, but I would say to the realtor, well, we want something that's accessible to people, but we want it kind of on a side street, right? We want it a little bit hidden. And I think that's fairly common with mental health counseling agencies. We kind of try to hide. Um, and so with this building, I, I had to do a lot of self-reflection and say, am I part of the solution to this stigma problem or am I part of the problem? And so moving ourselves to Main Street, being very, very visible uh, and having, you know, coming into our, building be just as common as going into the pharmacy that's across the way. Uh, you're going into the pharmacy to pick up medication to help you maintain or improve your physical health. And you're going into our counseling agency to help you maintain or improve your mental health or your behavioral health. Um, so, you know, our, our motto is that we're done hiding. I realized that even as an advocate for mental health, I was hiding. Um, and, you know, we were on these side streets and, and we finally said, no, we're, we're going to set a precedent that we are on Main Street. Like, we don't have anything to be ashamed of. Our clients don't have anything to be ashamed of. Um, there's no reason to hide the fact that we're taking care of our mental health. I'm proud that I'm taking care of my mental health. It's getting me closer and closer and closer to my goals, my dreams, the life that I wanna live. 
Uh, and I recommend that for every person. I really like everything you're talking about. And it's interesting to hear what it's like for you over in the US. Because in Australia, I think everyone is starting to finally access resources that we have as well. And so, for example, we have what we call Medicare and we can go to our general practitioner and get a mental health care plan, which gives us five to 10 rebated sessions to see a psychologist. And I know when I'm counseling students at schools and I'm talking to parents about this, a lot of people don't know, like they don't realize what they have access to and that mental health can be affordable. And like you're saying, it's starting to become a bit more prominent, I guess, or people are wanting to talk about it, I should say, but like you're saying, they're not feeling that confident. And what I'm noticing now is that it's happening because of influencers. So all these big pages, whether it's a celebrity or an influencer on Instagram, once they finally open up and talk about their mental health struggles, then all of a sudden you see a flood of comments of everyone else experiencing the same or a similar thing and thanking them for being open and honest. And I think it just is going to take a lot more open and honest conversations from everyone feeling brave to share their stories. But like you said, we need to share our success as well. Just like you would share success if you've lost a ton of weight, we should be sharing when we're succeeding in our mental health. Like, oh, I didn't cry today or, oh, I got out of bed today, whatever it may be. We need to be celebrating that because it is important and then we can all cheer each other on. I also was trying to think of another comment I wanted to make. Um, oh, I really like your insight about when you were thinking of where to place your buildings and whether you want to be part of the problem or solution. That's a very interesting way to think about it. That's something I hadn't considered yet, but you're right. We shouldn't be trying to hide away these offices. They should still be on display just like other services are because people know they're there and they'll be able to access them. And it's just another interesting factor in getting rid of the taboo of mental health that we've had and getting rid of the stigma. I also agree that we need to make it more accessible. And so that's why I think at the moment I've been focusing on going where the people are, which for me at the moment is using social media and being really present on Instagram and Facebook, because I know that's where a lot of parents are that are getting this information. And so that's part of why I started my gentle motherhood membership where at least women can come in and get started on their healing journey and it's online. So it's right at their fingertips. It's easily accessible. And I try to keep, you know, videos short enough for people that are really busy or I'll add captions so that they can at least read it if they can't listen to the video for whatever reason. And I'm trying to think of all these different ways that I can provide services and talk about all these really heavy topics and do activities that are, simple and not overwhelming and that people will be able to see progress and it really is an interesting time we're in i feel like we're finally heading in the right direction towards positive changes in the mental health field would you like to share with us a bit about your own mental health journey sure uh, so i have had uh, social anxiety since I was a really, really young child. And I, uh, you know, in the 80s when I was growing up, we didn't really 
um, you know, I didn't hear the term social anxiety until I was in college. So um, I didn't know that that was even a diagnosis that you could have. And I didn't know that there were remedies and that there was treatment for that um, that would alleviate those things. I just thought that that was who I was. And, uh, and you know, kids with social anxiety are a lot of times were labeled as shy or, you know, labeled as the quiet kid. Um, and a lot of kids, a lot of kids have this and they don't know it and their parents don't know it and their parents don't know that uh, there is treatment. So um, that's definitely one of the things that I try to talk a lot about is my social anxiety as a child. Like my, I'm an introvert and I have social, I have social anxiety. So my, um, my parents are extroverts. My parents are the type of people they will make friends in the bathroom line and be friends with those people for 20 years. And, um, and I just was not that way. I was just not comfortable with people when I was a child. Um, I also have had some depressive episodes, um, and then when my daughter was born, I had severe postpartum anxiety. Um, and so when I was 13, I, uh, I used to go to the nurse's office a lot when I was, uh, when I was 13, and um, just to kind of get away from people, to kind of get out of class, to kind of get into a quiet place where I could be myself and, or you know, be by myself, and the nurse's office was kind of that for me, so I used to go there a lot, and so in talking to the nurse, she did recommend that I would start therapy sessions, and so I, I went to a therapist when I was 13, and I remember thinking she had the coolest job in the world. Uh, she would always come in, my my session must have been the one right after her lunch break or something because she always had a giant Starbucks Frappuccino. Um, and I remember that and thinking how cool that was that she had that in the middle of the day. Um, and I remember thinking how cool it was that she got to spend her days playing games um, and you know talking to people in this office. And so, but, but you know, at that time, I did not, I was fairly oppositional as well as a, I was very oppositional um, when I was a teenager as well. So um, I was never diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder, but definitely I, I qualified for that. Um, and so I did not talk to her at all uh, during those sessions. And I saw her for about a year and I refused to talk to her. Like I, I would not make eye contact with her. I would not talk to her. We played Othello every single session. Uh, and I would just say things to her like, you know, it's your turn or something like that. Um, but I remember things that she used to say to me. And I remember that she used to just let me be quiet and she would just be in the room. And then I could just focus on the game because that's all I could handle. Um, and she didn't press me and she didn't ask me, you know, questions and, um, and or make me feel awkward for not talking. And so for me, that experience just taught me that counseling is so, can be beneficial even though, even if we don't know it. And 
uh, I know now in my 30s that those sessions helped me tremendously, that I wouldn't be the person that I am today if I hadn't had those sessions. And now coming at it from the, <laughs> from the other side and having experience being a counselor and now being a supervisor of counselors, um, I can imagine that she was she was probably frustrated in some of those sessions. She probably thought that um, that nothing was working, that she was trying. You know, she probably um, had licensure supervision with her her supervisor. She's an LISW now, but um, I, I kind of did the math on it looking at her bio this year, and I said, oh my gosh, she was an LMSW, which um, here in the States is, that means that she was in her first or second year out of graduate school, um, and which, you know, at 13, I never thought about those things. Um, and so I'm sure she was going to her supervisor every week going, oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm not helping this girl, you know, uh, she won't talk to me, nothing's working. Um, but the truth is that, you know, at the age of 35, I can say that it did work. Um, and so I, I always say that, you know, believing that it's working is not a requirement for it to work. Um, and also talking is not a requirement of therapy. Um, it's, it's much more than that. And I think that people just think about therapy as I go in and I talk and I get stuff off my chest and then my therapist tells me what to do. Uh, but that's not, it's just not an accurate representation of the magic of therapy. I mean, therapy is, and behavioral health counseling, the magic in it is that you've got that time carved out for yourself to be whatever you need to be for that hour. Um, and you get to be in the presence of somebody who doesn't mind what you're doing. <laughs> so for those two hours, for the, that hour a week, what I needed was to not have to talk, not have pressure to talk, and be in the presence of somebody to learn that it was okay to do that. And, um, and I believe that every client knows exactly what it is that they need. And so as counselors, if we provide space for that and we allow them to be whatever they need to be for that hour, then that is the service that we are providing. Um, we're just letting people do what they need to do uh, and holding the space for it and being another person there um, to, to observe it and to support it. So, um, yeah, when I was... Uh, after I had my daughter, I had this postpartum anxiety, and I I knew some about postpartum depression, and I had had some friends who had experienced that, but I was not prepared for postpartum anxiety. Um, I I thought that you know my my daughter and I were both going to die, you know, every day. I just thought um, that that was the day and or that I would lose her, you know, that I would lose her to um, just any number of, of re, you know, kidnapping and um, that, you know, I would be an unfit mom and they would take her from me and uh, all of that. And um, so I was not prepared for that at all. That was a really big struggle. Um, so I've had a therapist in my life now uh, regularly since I was 13. Um, and I'll never, I'll never stop meeting a counselor because I'm never going to stop 
trying to grow myself and improve myself um, to be more efficient with my thinking, um, to be more intentional with my thinking and uh, learning new ways to process things. Uh, I'm just never going to be done with that. And so I'm always going to need a counselor. Uh, and in my case right now, I'm seeing a counselor twice a week. And that's actually sped up my productivity um, quite a bit. So uh, yeah, I, I just encourage everybody who has considered getting counseling um, to, to try it because I know that it has helped me immensely. Um, and my coworker and I actually just started a podcast called You Need a Counselor. And it is, uh, it's us talking about the reasons that we need a counselor, the reasons that um, that we continue to need counseling. And uh, it's for people who are on the fence about whether they should go to counseling or not. It's also for people who have tried counseling before and maybe didn't have a great experience with it. We talk through a lot of those things that happen sometimes uh, and just encourage people to keep trying. Um, I've had a lot of counselors in my life. I've also had a lot of uh, intakes in my life, probably like four or five times more intakes than counselors because uh, when I you know, when I moved to Iowa, for example, I had to find a new counselor. And, um, and so I interviewed people. I contacted therapists and I went in for first sessions and it, it was like an interview um, because I wanted to make sure that I felt comfortable with this person. And there were a lot of counselors that I didn't connect with. And so I didn't continue to see them, but I also didn't take the fact that I didn't connect with them as a reason to not do counseling. I just took it as a reason to not do counseling with that person. Right. And it's such an interesting journey that you've had, but I'm sure it can be relatable for so many as well. And I know I'm also someone that struggled with postpartum anxiety and it really does feel like it never goes away. I still struggle with it now and my youngest is about to turn two. And I know that the more I talk about it, the more I have women messaging me and saying, oh my goodness, that's how I feel. That's how I think. And it's something that you also don't expect when you become a parent, because I know a lot of people talk about postpartum depression, but sometimes they forget to talk about the anxiety, which is sort of like the side dish that often can present with postpartum depression and it can be feeling quite debilitating at times because you're just always worried you're always anxious that something wrong is going to happen to you or your baby at any stage and at any time and sometimes we can have these horrific thoughts as well and it's really good that you acknowledged being able to find someone and get the support that's worked for you as well and like you said, this is lifelong. You've been doing this since you were 13. And for me as well, I was diagnosed with depression when I was 14. And I think a lot of people forget how hard it can be being a teenager, but also how early issues can present. And if they're not dealt with, then that's gonna make it a bigger struggle later on as well into adulthood and beyond. So what are some things that you are currently doing for your mental health? Yeah, 
so, um, so I do see my therapist or talk to my therapist now twice a week. Typically, I talk to her once a week in person, but right now I'm doing it twice a week because it's free and I can do it on the treadmill and I just really, uh, really enjoy it. I think I'm getting a lot out of it. Um, so, yeah, so seeing my counselor on a very regular basis uh, helps to make sure that I don't pile up those things. Those things don't start to pile up on me. Um, other things that I do in my daily routine. So uh, I wake up at 5 a.m. every morning. Um, I started doing this practice after I read the book, The 5 a.m. Club by Robin Sharma. And it's a really, really wonderful book. And as a mom of a toddler, uh, a preschooler now, um, it's a really hard to find time for ourselves. Um, I would, you know, wake up and get ready for work and get her dressed for, for preschool and, uh, and then be out the door, you know, have breakfast, be out the door, and then start working immediately, work for, for my eight hours or nine hours, and then pick her up from daycare, come home, then it's dinner time, you know, and then it's, uh, it's bath time. And so, yeah, so then if, if we're lucky, we get some playtime in, and then it's, time for stories and then it's bedtime. And I was running into, uh, a, I was having this problem of, I don't have time in my day to sit and process things or to meditate or to uh, read or work out. And so these are things that are really crucial to my mental health. Um, but I just felt like, you know, where am I going to put those things in the day? I can't, uh, as a mom, it's really hard to work and then come home and then want to spend that, you know, precious time that you have with your child um, exercising, right, or reading or doing something that's going to be beneficial to us uh, when we haven't seen our child all day. So uh, in, in the 5 a.m. club, we recommend getting up at 5 a.m., which is hard. Um, it's hard to do, but it's so beneficial. So um, because that 5 a.m., you know, my daughter's asleep right now. It's 7, 18 a.m. here right now, and my daughter's asleep. Um, and so typically she'll sleep until about eight or nine. Um, and so I actually get all of my stuff done in the morning when it's quiet and when my brain is refreshed. So uh, the first thing I do when I get up at 5 a.m. is I make my breakfast. I was in a really bad habit of I would just skip breakfast. Um, I would skip lunch a lot of times because I'd be so wrapped up in work and then I'd get home and I would be starving and I'd just eat whatever was convenient, right? So um, so I make my breakfast in the morning. Uh, I have that and then I uh, unload the dishwasher and I take my vitamins and, uh, and I practice Korean for 15 minutes in the morning. That's like the first 30 minutes of my day. Then I get on the treadmill at 5.30 and I read while I'm on the treadmill. So I'm not like, you know, running <laughs> on the treadmill. I'm just walking at a pace where I can read at the same time. Um, and that just helps me so much because I get that input of those different authors uh, and my mind has time to process the information that I'm getting. Um, so it's one thing when you sit down and read an entire book at one sitting, but I find it really beneficial. I feel like I absorb it better I read for 30 minutes a day and then I have that whole day and night to, in, to absorb, you know, and apply what I've learned. So 
So I do that until six o'clock. Uh, six o'clock, I do uh, 30 minutes of uh, body weight exercises. So um, I didn't want to buy a lot of, you know, we, we talked about the minimalism aspect, so, um, or the minimalist aspect. So I didn't want to buy a bunch of weights. So um, I started doing body weight training that just uses our body as kind of like acro. So, um, so I just do uh, YouTube videos for that. I have a folder that says 15 minute workouts and then I just have a rotation. So like today is, or, or today is Friday. And so um, during my workout today, it's legs, core and shoulders, right? So I just have that rotation so that I never have to think in the morning, like 5 a.m. is early. So I don't wanna have to think ever about like, what should I do next? So I have all of this written down every day and then I just cross it out as I go. And it's a good thing because sometimes I'll be, I'll have made my breakfast and then I'll kind of stand in the kitchen and be like, what am I supposed to do right now? And then I see on my list, like empty the dishwasher. I go, okay, I can do that. Um, so it's the next thing I do after that. So that's at six, that goes till about 6.30. And then I sit outside. And so I have a garden out there um, of vegetables and, and different fruits and berries. Um, and so I go outside with my notebook. I set my phone for 15 minutes and I just write for 15 minutes. And uh, a lot of times I'll use a technique where I write with my non-dominant hand which is really, really powerful because, um, you know, if you look at parts theory, there are all these different kind of voices that we have, these different parts of us uh, that we have. So, and I, I like to name them, so, or sometimes they name themselves. So if I've got anxiety about something that's happening that day, um, I might write with my dominant hand, you know, who, why am I having this anxiety? Who's speaking? And then I might write with my left hand and I just kind of let my left hand write whatever it wants. Um, and so sometimes it'll say like fear of financial insecurity or fear of, um, you know, or social anxiety or it's people pleasing. People pleasing has very nice loopy handwriting <laughs> and always calls me honey. Um, so it sounds really kind of out there, but it's very, very interesting because there are all these different pieces of us, right? And so, um, and they're there to protect us. And so I'll say to financial insecurity, I'll say, okay, why, what are you sending me this fear message for? Um, like, what are you trying to say to me? Right? And then it might say a whole bunch of things like, if you mess this up, you're gonna lose your business and then you're going to be homeless and DHS is going to take your daughter and you're going to die. Like, it might say stuff like that, right? And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. And so then I can write back to, to that part of me or that feeling that is presenting itself. I can write back with my dominant hand and say, whoa, wait a minute. Okay. I appreciate that you're trying to protect me from, from death and from losing my daughter and from homelessness, but, but this, this meeting or this, um, you know, presentation that I'm giving, there's no way that that's going to cause me to be homeless. There's a lot of steps between here and there, right? And so I'll, I'll be able to write back to it with my rational mind. And so um, it's a way, kind of like Santray is a way, right, for that subconscious to present itself and be acknowledged by our conscious mind and also be kind of uh, soothed by our conscious mind. We can reason with it a little bit. 
Um, and so then, you know, I always make sure to thank that part and say, message received, thank you so much. I, and, then, and then that part of me doesn't need to send that fear message to me anymore because I've received it, I've processed it through with my writing, um, and then I can go about my day without the lag of that fear uh, hanging on to me. So uh, writing to myself, and sometimes I'll go out there, if I don't have any anxiety, I'll just go out there and I'll write different goals to myself, right? And I'll write them. Uh, and I'll, I'll write like in five years this or 10 years this. Um, so I shred those, those papers afterwards. So I don't reread them. I shred them because I'm not looking to write a book here, right? I'm looking to just get this stuff out so that it is not weighing down my day it's not weighing down my thoughts as i go through my day and it's not impacting my outcomes in negative unintended ways um, so that's the next thing i do and then that usually brings me to about seven o'clock uh, at seven o'clock i uh, i work on either um my uh one of my kind of other businesses. So I either work on my books um, or I work on uh, um, I work on my uh, nonprofit uh, or I work on so different projects that I have. I work on the podcast. Um, I connect with people who are doing other podcasts so that I can get on their podcasts. So every morning has a different project assigned to that 7 a.m. hour. Uh, and then when things come in that I go, oh, that's a good idea. I should add that to my book list or I should do you know, this with that or I should contact that person about their podcast and see if I can be a guest on it. Uh, I just send it to myself. I email it to myself for 7 a.m. on the day that I'm working on that project. And that way, I can kind of keep those contained and I'm not thinking about things for a different project while I'm trying to work on the project that I'm focusing on for that morning. Um, and then from eight o'clock to nine o'clock, I do my doctoral homework. So, uh, and then my doctorate program and, uh, and I spend that hour focusing in on my doctoral homework and then I start my work day. And uh, I always, take a lunch break. It's usually like a 30 minute lunch break, but I kind of, I force myself to take it because I need to be eating uh, in, throughout the day to keep my, my mental health going and my physical health going. Um, and so I, I make sure I take a lunch break. And then at five o'clock, we have family dinner together. Um, and then the rest of the evening, I don't have to worry. Like I can focus 100% on my kid and my husband and we can play in the splash pool or we can swing on the swing or we can work in the garden um, or we can go for a walk or scooter ride. Uh, we can do whatever we want without that impending cloud of like doom over my head that I used to have of like, oh my gosh, I still need to work out. I still need to, you know, write or work on this project or do my homework. Um, and it also frees up my weekends because I used to have it bad where I would um, not work on my homework every single day, you know, for that designated time. And then on the weekends, I would just do like 
all of it. Um, and then that ate up my weekends, that ate up my time that I could be spending with my kids. So, um, you know, if I can, if I can do anything with those hours that she's awake, I want to be playing with her. I want to be playing hide and seek and I want to be playing the floor is lava with her. Um, so yeah, these are, these are just the daily things that I do every single day to ensure my, uh, my mental health is sound and, uh, and try to keep myself in, you know, that mentally fit state. That's so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that because I love listening to what other people do for their mental health because it always gives me a new set of ideas or I think, oh, I'm going to add that to my toolkit or try that out tomorrow. And I'm someone that really struggles with the concept of waking up at 5am, but it is definitely something on my to-do list that I would like to master one day because I've read some similar books uh, that I think you have and I can see what all the benefits that it can offer us. So thank you for talking about that and sharing with us. Is there anything else you would like to share with our audience before we finish up the podcast? Um, well, my best tip for waking up at 5 a.m. is to go to sleep at 9 p.m. <laughs> um, and, and also to uh, at 8 o'clock, we turn on all the big lights, my daughter calls them. We turn off all the big lights and we turn on all of our little lamps um, and our reading lights. And that's a good that idea. Really, really helps. And I, I take melatonin at eight o'clock. Um, I put face cream on my face at eight o'clock. Um, and then we turn out all the lights and uh, we just have the little lights on from eight o'clock. And I plug my phone in downstairs in the kitchen. Um, and I listen to audiobooks to fall asleep. And I have like a Walkman <laughs> from the 90s um, by my bed. And I listen to that to fall asleep. Um, instead of, you know, listening to YouTube on my phone or something like that. And, uh, and it really, really just helps me to get to sleep fast, which then as soon as 5 a.m. rolls around, I've had a solid um, eight hours of sleep because I get to, to sleep really fast because I'm tired <laughs> from waking up at five. So, um, yeah, those are my best tips for waking up at 5 a.m. That is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love how simple you make it sound. So it definitely feels like something that we can achieve. <laughs> so we're going to bed early, everyone. <laughs> if you would like to see more from Julie, you can find all her links below in the show notes and make sure to go and check out the children's book. If you would like to get a copy of that for your little one. Thank you so much again for being a guest on the Gentle Counselor podcast, Julie. Thank you very much for having me, Crystal. This was fun.